It's a very great pleasure of mine to welcome Lily to Australia. Obviously, Lily has a huge amount of achievements and we know her, of course, as a model, but also an accomplished actress. But most impressively, she's recently launched a website, Impossible. It's a truly extraordinary, um, I would say almost experiment, really, <laughs> in terms of human relations and how, I guess, online communities can uh, relate and help one another. And I must say how impressed I am for somebody such as yourself to use your profile to really, I think, better the world and, you know, make it, make it better for us all. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Lily has a double first-class degree in history of art from Cambridge. And her thesis, Impossible Utopias, was published recently. So yes, beauty and brains, truly. But for those of you who don't know about Impossible, Lily, could you just explain what is Impossible? What, what does it do? Hey, everyone. Um, so uh, Impossible is a social network that I've been working on for three years now, a um, couple of years with an actual team of people building it. And um, the idea was to try and encourage a culture of giving and receiving through a social network. So it's designed specifically to let people post things that they either want to offer or they want to ask for help with. And then you can see everyone else's content. You can see your friend's content. You can see your neighbor's content. You could see content with uh, like hashtags or ideas that you might be interested in. And the hope and anticipation is you trigger people doing things to each other for free, whether that's offering products or asking for things or offering time or asking for advice, etc. And tell me, when, when did the idea come to you? What, what sort of motivated all of this? So I was traveling with a friend over, just over three years ago, and uh, we were talking, I remember like, the exact conversation on the plane, we were talking about the economy, and it was just after the recession, and we were saying, why is it that when the economy falters, that society, like, default falls apart? Because if you think about it intuitively, we have the exact same amount of skills, services, time, resources. We've just lost the way, you know, to, to motive, like to kind of mobilize ourselves. And um, we were talking about how in big cities, I grew up in London and have lived in New York for a few years, you often, it's so dense, you don't know actually how to help other people and vice versa because everyone, you know, everyone's so alien to one another. Um, and would it be interesting if technology tried to uh, kind of map and show what's possible uh, in a way that isn't possible on a notice board, for example, in a big city. And um, after that idea, I just kind of kept researching it and kept thinking about it and became more and more inspired to try and build it. So I guess that's one of the most interesting things about Impossible is the lack of currency involved. How did you go about launching it then? <laughs> um, well, that actually conceptually was... I think probably the hardest thing actually in designing Impossible was how do we reflect what's happening on the network so if someone's really generous hopefully there'll be a sense of return to them from the community without having a currency like without just creating a point system that becomes money by another name and um, I really struggled for a long time trying to work through that and liked the idea of an abundant currency so a kind of playful subversion of the idea of currency something you could only ever earn and it wasn't really of intrinsic value in the way that we understand uh, real currency. Um, and we decided to call that saying thank you. And so saying thank you became, yeah, an abundant currency in the platform. And did you find initially it was difficult for people to adopt? Like it was actually quite difficult to explain what it was because we're so used to trading with currency and needing something in return? Or did people take to it very quickly? Uh, 
a bit of both. I mean, it's still, it's so new that it's not as if I can speak retrospectively. It's like there are still people, you know, like hopefully people here today who hear a man for the first time. And so you're constantly meeting people's first reactions and then first experiences of what we're trying to do. And I'd say sometimes there is a struggle with the, which is why it's called impossible, with this idea that you would do things without something coming directly in return. So without payment or um, without a barter, you know, in a direct way. Yet at the same time, I feel like it's such a simple human proposition that so many people actually really do get that and get that the experience itself of meeting somebody can be of real value. And um, yeah, I think, I think somehow it does strike a chord that most people do understand. Um, and I actually think people do this stuff all the time anyway, without obviously impossible being involved. And so it's just a more invisible kind of, in a more invisible uh, economy that happens. Impossible was involved, I heard, helping you whilst you've been in Australia. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, the girl actually helped me is in the audience. <laughs> so I thought I would test it when I got here and I actually genuinely did need help with something. Um, I had to learn lines. Um, when I, for something I was acting for and um, I don't know any actors in Australia and so I posted on Impossible I wish that some, an, there, was, there was an actor on, in Australia who'd help me learn my lines and quite extraordinarily this girl Laura came yesterday and did <laughs> and it was wicked <laughs> and then today I was actually looking through the app and I was looking at nearby content and I saw that um, Laura had offered a book to give to somebody and then you can read the thread of the conversation afterwards and somebody in England had said I would love the book but uh, I'll look into postage because it's really far so I've offered to take the book back to England because I think that'll be a bit more convenient tomorrow so it's just the, the simple ways those things those connections can be made it's nice so you've had incredible support. I was slightly intimidated when I found out that Chelsea Clinton had actually hosted this same event with you in New York. You've had um, support from Jimmy Wells, Wikipedia um, founder and a Nobel Peace you know, Prize winner. Has it, has it been a little bit, I guess, overwhelming, the amount of people who have rushed to help you with this project? Um, overwhelming is probably the wrong word because actually the project itself can feel overwhelming at the scale of it. Um, and people, every time someone helps, whether known or unknown, it actually just helps and make it, makes it easier um, and feel less overwhelming. But it's been very humbling. Um, it's been very, very humbling. Uh, I started three years ago kind of having conversations with people about this idea and what I was trying to do. And again and again, people would be like, oh, I love that idea, how can I help? And largely through the gift economy itself, it's been built that people would contribute kind of different parts along the way. And some of those people were people like Jimmy Wales from Wikipedia. And um, it's of huge value, obviously, both as a kind of human and as an entrepreneur and as what we're trying to do and as a friend now to these people to have their support. Yeah. And so with the absence of funding, I mean, how do you see it unfolding long term? How will you keep this going, I suppose? Because it must be hugely time consuming as well. It's been incredibly time consuming. It's become um, my kind of full-time job for the last few months, uh, last six months to a year. Um, in terms of moving forward, I've, I self-funded it with support from lots of people, as I mentioned, and companies, uh, namely the person who's done the development, who's probably put an equivalent amount in through development resource. Um, and then I also got a grant from the British government, which helped a lot. 
And so that's brought us to here, like to now, to today, to launch in a very um, free way. And when I say free, what I mean by that is we've been able to structure the business as a social business and say that in future, if we make profit, we'll give 100% of that profit into its social mission, which I don't think we'd have been able to achieve as easily if I'd had to kind of take orthodox uh, financial investment in the company. Um, now moving forward, we're actively pursuing like a few different ideas for business models so that we can become at the very least self-sustainable and at best, if we make profit, be able to kind of keep growing uh, our social mission, basically. And with the absence of advertising or selling data, for example, how, how would you see you know, finance becoming involved overall? I think there's, it's, it's definitely not an easy problem to solve for obvious reasons, um, but I've got a few different ideas. I'm not uh, completely opposed to advertising. I'm just opposed to advertising as we kind of know it and understand it right now. And I think there might be some interesting ways that, um, that maybe speak more truthfully of the companies, that we could allow companies to become involved with the platform. Um, and then separately, I'm really interested in, uh, from my work in fashion actually, in supply chains and how uh, basically we as consumers have a huge effect with the choices we make, uh, whether it's with clothes or with food or with you know, electronics, um, by supporting companies who have very transparent supply chains and try and do this kind of socially, environmentally right things in their, in their uh, production processes. And so what we're exploring is trying to create a platform that champions basically uh, products and businesses that have incredibly transparent supply chains. And was there a point in your career, because obviously ethics and sustainability has become a, a very big focus, I think, of the fashion industry recently. Was there a pivotal point in your career where you thought, you know, I need to do something about this, I need to speak up, or a reason why you became so interested in ethical fashion? Yeah, um, so I uh, was working in fashion since I was 14, so 12, 12 years now, and um, I simultaneously started working for lots of different charities, and I was always interested in big kind of social environmental issues and how we can think about trying to solve, solve some of them. And those two things were uh, treated separately, both by myself and by, I would say, a lot of society at large. And I increasingly came to discover that you know, what we buy and the businesses that we are a part of, whether, we, whether we're purchasers or the producers or um, the owners of the companies, have such a huge impact socially, environmentally, that it doesn't feel for me um, systemically you're ever going to solve problems if you don't actually look to business itself to solve problems. And obviously, because I was working in fashion, I thought it made more sense for me to focus in fashion rather than washing machines, for example. Um, so I did that and continue that journey. Uh, I worked with a charity for a long time in, and I continue to in the UK, who look at cotton farming and the impact of cotton farming, whether organic or non-organic. I do a project with WWF where we look at the impact of um, wild rubber for the Amazon as a way of trying to curb deforestation. I set up a company in the UK that we um, do knitwear and we name the knitters, so it's predominantly grandmas who knit. And the point of it was to try and demonstrate that you can make sustainable clothes that are incredibly transparent, transparent to the point that you can actually like connect with your knitter. So we gave them Twitter and impossible handles. So if you buy a hat and you see the name of the person who made it, you can actually connect with them afterwards. Um, and I worked at the body shop for a few years because they've got amazing trade rather than aid models. And so again and again, I've kind of learned and, and I will continue to learn how uh, we can work with companies that celebrate those ideas, basically. I know, for example, Australian Wool are working to actually have a system where you'll be able to track 
the actual paddock and flock that the merino wool that's in oh, your cool. suit came from. Amazing, so yeah. I, I feel it's something we'll see hap emerging a lot more in fashion. And obviously, you've been very active and vocal in promoting that. So yeah. thank you. Um, you've I also think slow is an interesting, sorry to interrupt, but slow is an interesting adjective there as well. Um, because part of what I've tried to communicate is uh, this idea of of how we consume, not even, not just what we consume, but how we consume, and trying to champion that maybe you know maybe we should pay a little bit more for like high quality things that are going to last a long time and then love them, you know, <laughs> as opposed to this obviously quite like disposable culture yeah. that's developed sometimes. I couldn't agree more. I'm not quite sure when we decided that our jeans should cost less than our lunch. It just doesn't seem to make sense, really, does it? Um, now, you've said or have said before that there have been cultural challenges with creating um, Impossible, I guess because it does, it is global and it truly crosses all borders. What, what have some of those been? I'll hopefully have, or hopefully not have very different answers to you in a few years' time as it continues to develop. But I think... Um, a few things I've discovered. One, I started calling uh, impossible. First, I called it a gift economy when I learned this concept of a gift economy and mostly in anthropological books, you learn about gift economies. Um, and then I started calling it a giving culture because it felt cultural rather than economic. And then interestingly, I started calling it a giving and receiving culture because I felt that actually, um, potentially, we have a harder time maybe as a culture receiving and actually like being, you know, asking for help and being open to help and uh, than we do than we do giving. So that was quite an interesting observation. And um, the other kind of key challenge, I think, which is linked to that, is about reciprocity and how we understand um, reciprocity. And so kind of what I said at the beginning, that it's trying, you know, I feel like so often in life we do things or we've been taught to do things because you expect something immediately in return, whether it's money or it's a kind of direct exchange of goods or whatever. And trying to challenge that, like trying to say that somebody will just come and do something for you and you don't have to feel guilty, or, like you don't have to feel that you have to then give them something immediately back, that the actual act itself is kind of fulfilling for them too. And if everybody did that, someone will inevitably give back to them. It just might not be you. I think that's, I still, I still struggle with it, you know? I still struggle with, if someone helps me out, I have a sense of like, <laughs> oh God, what do I do to pay you back, you know? Um, and uh, that, I think, is quite an interesting challenge. Um, fostering a community is obviously, you know, very important with Impossible. Do you have any idea of how big that community is now? And, and do you find you ever need to moderate it? Yeah, de definitely have to moderate. Uh, we, so we, the last month, I've done a bunch of activity in different places in America, and that was kind of our, one of our big launch pushes. And with that, we now have had, you know, can't remember exact numbers, but tens of thousands of new users um, come onto the network, which is incredibly exciting and means that, you know, when I look at it, it feels alive and there's a real community, like a really positive community developing. But of course, with that also comes, you know, like my first real experience of what a troll means. You know, you'd heard that word before and I didn't really know what it meant. I'm like, oh, you're a troll. <laughs> um, and of course, there are, like, of course, you're opening yourself for, um, you know, negative, uh, kind of negative activity there. And it's been fairly minimal, I'd say, but it's something that we've had to be very reactive about how we empower our community to make sure that that just doesn't become part of Impossible, because it's not the point, yeah. 
we've always found it vogue with our, with our social media that it, there's kind of a critical mass thing. And if you keep the, it's about 3%, I've decided. Trolls, trolls exist in about 3% of everything, no matter how big it gets. <laughs> so you have to That's tell me if that, if that ends up being the same. Um, so I guess, you know, aside from, you know, cultural and working out how the business, you know, plan would work, what other challenges have you had to date? Um, the, one of the biggest ones I had was technical. And so uh, I've tried three times to build Impossible. Well, I tried two times before. The third time I found the person who's actually, like, committed enough to go on this journey, basically, with us. And so the first time I, I paid an individual to build it. And this is because I'd never worked in technology and I was stupid enough to think that one individual could build a social network that we hadn't even designed properly yet. Um, and that didn't work out. And then uh, I hired an agency and similarly, it just wasn't the right way to approach it. Uh, ultimately, we needed people who were like part of the company internally. Um, and after about six months of that not being kind of getting us anywhere tangible, uh, I nearly gave up and I thought I'm going to try one more time to, to build this idea. And I met a man called Kwame Ferreira who's become our CTO and oversees all the development. And so that was a very stressful kind of um, long-winded process. Um, that's been the most, the biggest challenge. And then of course you have, you know, it's, it's, it's constantly challenging in terms of trying to think through solutions to the problems, like how to design it in the first instance. And then once you've designed it, you, you know, immediately see this isn't working and this isn't working and this can be improved. And that continues today. You know, like I look at it and I'm like, okay, we need to fix this or we need to change this or this bits. That's a constant process. So do you have staff working on it full time? Are there? Yeah, there's uh, about eight people. Eight people and they're based yeah, including in London? myself. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. I'm London and Lisbon actually. Right. Yeah. And did you find, I guess, because we all know at the moment, you know, I guess for developers, for example, you know, the, the concept is you, you know, you build an app, you build a social community and then you sell it to Facebook or something for a lot of money. Was it quite hard to get developers to think about doing, creating something that was for purely altruistic purposes long term? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think the only reason that Kwame, who's the CTO I mentioned, got involved and he put a team of his developers on to build it was because he understood that my intentions with it were really kind of altruistic and pure. And I don't think he would have wanted to be involved if it wasn't on those grounds. Mm -hmm. So it's both some, in some instances, worked against us. Like you'll meet an investor and, you know, you're not offering them a financial <laughs> return. And so they're not interested in being involved. And that happens, you know, often. But then at the other side of the coin, when you meet the right people, like when you meet the people who, who get the vision and get what we're trying to do, they're like magnets to it. So in an interesting way, it's made it challenging, but it's attracted really the right people to it. Because that must be one of the most fascinating thing, uh, things. I mean, you know, you always, when you're in business, there are going to be people you get along with and people you don't share the same ethical views with. But this would be one, I would imagine, quite unique business where everyone is pretty aligned in terms of, you know, their beliefs and yeah. morals and ethics. It, does that make it a pleasure? Oh, it makes it heaven, work? yeah. I have such, like if it all stopped today, I would still have such a rich uh, kind of network of friends I've developed through this project because it has been such kind of, there's been such pure intentions in, in the relationships I've developed with people through it. Somebody early on who was um, giving me advice on, from a legal perspective, she said to me, uh, anybody who wants to be paid to be involved in this process, 
And this isn't true because obviously there are full-time people who we have to pay, like, and, the, and that's not a kind of badly intentioned <laughs> thing. But I understood the sentiment of what she was saying. She was like, then they probably don't get what you're trying to do. Um, and it has been that you've, we've kind of developed around the platform and hopefully we'll continue to grow that network. Um, people who are so generous because they understand uh, what we're trying to do and want to be part of it, basically. So tell me, I mean, Impossible must have granted some pretty incredible wishes, I suppose, because that's really what they are. Yeah. Can you tell me some of the most extraordinary? It's not actually... Um, I mean, there are some that are like, you know, a girl who was ill got a ticket to go to Japan because she really wanted to go to Japan. So there are some like that that are, you know, more kind of like, oh. Um, but the ones that actually inspire me most and the point of it are actually such small things. And that's the point, is like people doing acts of kindness that can be very simple and very small for one another. And um, everything from, you know, watching, you know, saw somebody post that they wanted to get their garden weeded and neighbours offered to help do that because she has twins. Today I saw somebody offering to give away their washing machine that works. Because it's just little things. But what that will enable is that she'll meet somebody who comes to pick up the washing machine. And the real value, I think, lies there, like in the social connections you make through those experiences. Like I was very grateful to learn the lines yesterday, but I was actually more grateful to meet Laura and like meet somebody who I wouldn't normally come into contact with. And for a few hours, you have this like suspended moment in time that's quite authentic um, as an experience. I guess that's one of the fascinating things, isn't it? We've been told for a long time that technology might make us lonelier. And in fact, by being connected in this way, in such an altruistic way and pure way, this is probably the antithesis of, of loneliness, isn't it? For, the, for those people who might need help and feel that they can't find it elsewhere. The, the, for me, the real genuine deep motivation in doing Impossible is um, because the gift, like the kind of gift economy giving culture is understood to create relationships between individuals. So when somebody does something for someone else that's non-transactional, um, a subtle bond is understood to kind of uh, be created. And if you imagine that at scale, that is community and social cohesion. Um, whether we can really achieve that is still kind of, you know, the journey that we're on, but that's the, that's the real motivation behind it. So I guess to that end, where would you see impossible, ideally, in five years' time or ten years' time? I mean, would you want it to be you know, millions of people in a community all doing things for one another? Or, you know, what's, what's your big dream for it? I hope so. I mean, I don't have uh, too specific a vision because I think that, you know, it's a little bit out of my hands now and hopefully it will surprise me. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the intention in coming this far has been to create a tool that will engender, um, yeah, a community that could be hopefully big enough that it, it becomes actually useful to people. So you can rely on your local community, this global community, and hopefully the tools that we will keep improving to, whether it's get a physical object you need or give away physical objects or get skills, services, advice you need, vice versa, um, without money being an obstacle to that. And, I mean, I'm sure we're all very impressed in this room with, with what you're doing. Where, where did this come from? Like, is, is, it, is, is it really strong within your family to want to give back or was it being in the fashion industry perhaps, which is rather frivolous <laughs> sometimes, as we all know, that's motivated um, this? The the funny thing is, and I hope that in really, truthfully, in five years' time, this will be part of what it uncovers, is that I really think that giving back, as it's perceived to be, makes you happier. So I genuinely like feel happy and fulfilled. I don't feel like I'm doing something worthy. I feel like I feel 
genuinely happy and fulfilled to be feeling like I'm doing something from the heart that feels of use. Um, so I don't know. It just makes me a happier person the more I'm able to kind of, um, I don't know, uh, do what I believe in, if that makes sense. So obviously at the moment it's mainly in English. Do you have plans to kind of translate bits, bits of impossible or, or, or could you see it being available in multiple languages eventually? Um, certainly. Um, so yeah, right now it's just in English, which is why we've kind of officially launched in the UK, the US and now here in Australia. Um, and, um, and then in time, we'll, we'll probably go a bit quiet for the next few months and just kind of focus on the community we've grown and how we can kind of ne do the next iteration of the app to improve it and the website. Um, but thereafter, I would certainly like to localize it to other markets. We've already got people using it in Portugal and Jordan and India and lots of kind of random countries around the globe. And they're using it in English, but it would be, you know, obviously a benefit for us to localize it. And tell me, obviously, you know, with, with other commitments you have, such as G-Star, obviously, you know, you get the opportunity to travel quite a bit. Has it, has it been beneficial, I suppose, having these two, um, these two very different careers running parallel? It, you know, just being able to travel, I suppose, allows you to tell the story of Impossible to a much broader audience. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, um, I think I've always been very... Uh, lucky and grateful how the different role like the different jobs I've done and the ways I've kind of uh, yeah moved between different industries that they always help one another in a funny way so not just from the learning perspective that I described earlier with working in fashion but also now like being able to you know <clears throat> talk to you guys um, and come to Australia I came here with G-Star initially like there's a, often a serendipity that runs between those jobs that I can utilize to, you know, to get to talk about things like this. So I'm sure that we have some questions from the floor. Would we like to, do you want to open it up so we're not taking all, all Lily's time up? Because she, she has to run to Channel 7 after this. So you're going to have to be quick. There, has to be qu there must be questions. <laughs> I'm sure you get ask this a lot, what's your wish? Does it change daily? Um, I was asked that this morning and I was thinking about it. Um, I mean, sometimes there's quite tangible ones, like the, the line learning, you know, it's like I really need to, my bag just broke, I need to get a new bag, and I can think of tangible things to ask. Um, but generally speaking, like, this has been my wish, you know, like, and it's, like, it's uh, kind of continually happening. Um, so, yeah, I feel pretty fulfilled. So Impossible has actually Yeah, it was really my wish. You, and which, and yeah, it's come true, which wish. is pretty cool. <laughs> what advice, Lily, would you give to other um, keen developers, someone wanting to do something similar to what you've done? Um, I would say uh, be, be open to cooperate and, like, to take help because it's so... I think not just, I don't think this is necessarily just even with technological development, with any business idea or any big idea people might have. Um, it's, it's so hard to achieve big things, I think, and I think it's near impossible by yourself, but with lots of support and lots of help, and so being open to that and finding people who believe in what you're trying to do, um, you become much more powerful. And um, I mean, that's been the whole journey with Impossible, is it's only been built because of a lot of other people, you know, who don't come up and sit on stage at the end of the day, but it wouldn't exist without them. Um, and so I think that kind of openness is, is really valuable. 
and also be willing to fail because you learn through failure. And everyone told me that at the beginning again and again. And I was like, no, I don't want to fail. That will be horrible. <laughs> and then I look back and I'm like, yeah, you kind of have to fail a few times. And I'm sure I will again in the future a few times. And I guess, tell me finally, how, how did your, um, your university life, I mean, especially, I guess, working, well, being interested in the arts, has that informed the creation of Impossible as well? I mean, how, they're, they're very different worlds that you've lived in at different times. From yeah, fashion to university um, to this. I, my thesis actually at, at university was called Impossible Utopias, and so the name Impossible makes reference to that and to that thinking. The thesis wasn't actually about the gift economy, so it wasn't directly related, but it was really a kind of me digging into my own personal kind of political philosophy and through art, but um, arguing really in some ways that so much more is possible than what we imagine. Um, and that utopia is that kind of uh, that possibility is a fact of possibility itself, and um, and so it was a very kind of optimistic, um, optimistic, yeah, thesis. Um, and so that kind of foregrounded what we're doing now. Um, and interestingly, the artist that I wrote about, Gabriella Roscoe, uh, contributed to Impossible and helped us with the kind of handwriting and the design. So there was some weird connections in that way too. There's also one last thought on that. There's a really interesting book, if you're interested in the gift economy, called The Gift by Lewis Hyde, where he writes about gift economies in the past and so kind of anthropologically and different societies that have lived in gift economies. And then he compares them to art and to how artists work and the idea of like creativity as a gift, um, as a gift to be shared. And so there is also an intangible connection there too. Sounds fascinating. And you, well, you, it's funny actually, because having traveled through so many different worlds, you can quite clearly see how you've arrived to where you are today, which is a very impressive place. Thank All you. kudos to you. It's incredible work you're doing. And well, it only, impossible, interestingly, only works and exists with everyone else using it. So it's really not, <laughs> but now, some, now it's not about me anymore. It's about other people. <laughs> somebody has to have the idea and somebody has to have the drive and the passion and the patience to see these things through. So, you know, you should be very proud of that achievement and all kudos to you. Thank you for Thank coming you. to Australia too. Oh, to my the, pleasure. To the Apple store. Thanks for having so, me. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, pleasure to have you here. And I'm... Um, Best of luck with it. Thank we'll, you. We'll certainly be supporting it at, at Vogue and all, on all our various platforms. Thank so you. Thank you. Very impressive. Thank mm -hmm. you.